is that last week, how many of you remember the sermon from last week? Raise your hand if you were here. All right. And what was the, there was sort of a, a challenge uh, that went along with the sermon. And does anyone remember what the challenge was? To pray. Yes. How did that go for everyone? Yeah. I, I, for me personally, it, uh, it went really well. And I felt like it kind of want, made me want to pray a little bit more, you know, in my life. I don't know if that's true for you, but whenever we get into the things of God and it's really good, we want to kind of, we want more of that, as, uh, as George said. Where's George? Yeah. We want, uh, we want to be like Abraham, right? And uh, so I just want to encourage you to keep praying. Um, just because the challenge is over doesn't mean that it's the, the season of prayer is over, right? We want to keep praying for our leaders and uh, both political and spiritual. We're going to keep praying for our community and all of those things and for our family. Amen? All right. <coughs> so um, <coughs> there's a teenage boy, right? And he's getting ready uh, for the prom. He wants to take his girlfriend to the prom. So first he goes to rent a tux, right? He goes to the tux shop. He's all excited. But, you know, there's a long line to get the tux. So he's sitting in there in line forever and ever and ever. Finally gets to the, to the front and he gets his tux. It's a, it's a, I believe it was blue and it had some stripes on it. And uh, he's, he's very excited. All right. And then uh, he has to get some flowers, right, for his date, of course. That's what he needs. So he goes over to the florist. But guess what? There's a huge flower line there. So he's standing in line forever and ever. He's getting a little worried, you know, um, that he's going to be late for his date because he, uh, he only get, uh, budgeted so much time, right, in his day to, to get ready for the prom. But he, uh, eventually he gets the flowers, and I believe uh, he got some nice uh, roses for his date. Um, the little, uh, what's that called? The corsage. Yes, he gets a nice corsage. So then uh, he's, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to go big. You know what? I'm going to do something no one else has thought of, and that way there won't be any lines. So he goes to rent a limo. But guess what? Everyone had the same idea. There's a huge limo line in there, and he's at the rental office. And, uh, but, you know, he's, he's waiting in line, but he's, he's kind of patient. But he's getting a little bit, you know, worried about the time, right? So uh, eventually he gets the limo. He's all excited. And the night of the, the prom comes, and uh, he uh, meets his date. And they're, all, they're so excited, and they're dancing. They're having a good time. And then the song is over, right? And she asks him to get some punch. So he goes over to the punch table, but there's no punchline. Thank you. <laughs> this this kind of joke, all right. Uh, I I was inspired by uh, uh, Miriam Rudolph. She likes to tell jokes like this. Um, but this kind of joke can be a little bit annoying, right? You kind of maybe you laugh, but you kind of also groan, right? It's a joke, right? But it has no punchline, right? It's it's sort of leading up, but then there's no. There's no satisfying, you know, punchline at the end. Uh, and it's, it's like a story, basically, that's not, that's not finished. It's, uh, it's like a, an unfinished song. You know, how many of you know that unfinished symphony? Is that by Beethoven or somebody, right? Or it's, it's, a, it's like a, a sentence that you start and just... Right? And you never quite... It's, it's annoying, right? So uh, it's my conviction that our telling of the gospel sometimes can be like this, unfortunately. 
Sometimes the way we tell the story of God working in history, it's missing something. It's missing the end or the beginning or the middle. And the gospel actually has many interrelated parts to it. And they're all important. So today I want to encourage, encourage all of us to tell the whole story. All right, turn to somebody and say, tell the whole story. All right, you sound good out there. So let's begin with the telling of God's story in the book of Joshua. Uh, this is really good. Now, before Joshua dies, he gathers uh, all the tribes and uh, he summons all the leaders and the elders. And he reminds them of what God has done. This is the last chapter of the book of Joshua. And it's the end of his earthly life. It's the end of his ministry. He wants to leave uh, Israel kind of with a summary story of her story, the whole story of what God has been doing. So uh, for context, we're going to compare this passage to um, what is known as the ancient Near Eastern treaties or covenants. So most scholars agree that there are certain elements contained in uh, treaties and covenants at this time in history that um, parallel um, these uh, covenants in scripture, all right, so we can kind of compare them and see what was going on. So to a treaty of this time period, basically the idea was there would be a conquering king, right, he would conquer a group of people and he would lay out uh, the covenant, what he expected to his newly conquered subjects. So let's begin with the biblical text, and this is in Joshua 24, verse 2. This is what Joshua says. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. And we know what happens after that. All right? So what's the idea? Here Joshua is reminding the Israelites that Abraham was originally set apart from what? From idolatry to worship the one true God. And then Joshua continues to describe the rest of the story, what Hashem does in the story of Israel. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. All right? So this is what we expect um, that a list of God's faithfulness would show. All right? Then Joshua recounts the faithfulness of God uh, to Israel after the Exodus, all the way up to that current day. So he keeps telling the story. Okay? This is what he says. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for 
Balaam, you remember this guy? Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. So God kind of turned the tables on that story. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, Stalactites, Stalagmites, all the ites, right? God is faithful. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So he's saying that you live today with the blessing that I've carried through and I've been faithful to you all this time. So how do we feel when we read this, when we read this reminder of what God has done? Well, I, I personally, I feel provided for, right? Do we feel taken care of? Do we feel loved by Hashem? Uh, We're being reminded of all that he has done for us. And this passage of scripture, it mirrors the ancient treaties um, or the covenants of this time period. And this section that we just read is known as the historical prologue. Okay? That's basically context. So it recounts everything that the king, in this case the king is God, that, that the king has done for the people. In the historic treaties, this would explain the history of the relationship between the king and the people. It would highlight the benefits and the blessings of that relationship, give it some context. Ultimately, it would show why the people should obey that king. You know, it's like the king is saying, well, I did this for you, I did that, and this other thing, so that's why you should really be my people. Uh, Plus, you know, I've conquered your land, I've taken over, but you know, this is why, this is the, the context of it. Does that make sense? Right? And in this case, the faithful king is God, who is explaining the history of his relationship with Israel so that Israel will be inclined to follow him and to accept him as king. Right? And then we come to a, sort of a call of action. There's a call to action in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. And some people might know this verse. Now, Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So, so Joshua was reminding them, hey, Abraham was taken out of that, right? This is the history that we have with God, so don't go back. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served Beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites whom you conquered in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, what does it say? We will serve the Lord, right? And this parallels the section known as stipulations, which were requirements for the subjects of the king. So, but there's a difference between the biblical text and these treaties. Uh, Unlike ancient covenant documents, the biblical account, it includes an important element, and that is choice. An ancient king would simply say, well, you're my subjects, I conquered your land, you have to do this, 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 and that. But the biblical account shows that the Israelites 
can choose. Isn't that interesting? They can choose to follow Hashem and turn away from idolatry. Their worship is a free will offering to God. An ancient covenant document would also include a, a written record of the document um, and witnesses and blessings and curses uh, for following the document, which we see that are, uh, if you read the rest of the last uh, chapter of Joshua, it's all in there. Okay, but those are the things I wanted to highlight. The context part and then the, uh, the, the idea that now that you are conquered and you are the, the, the people that belong to the king, now you have a choice to follow him and these, this is what is required of you. And this brings us to the idea of the gospel. In Joshua's day, you might say that this was the, the, the gospel of Joshua. It was the good news, right? It included the history of all that God had done for Israel. It included what God had just done, you know, with kind of with Balaam all the way up to the present day. And it included some kind of response. There was a response that was required of the people. The gospel, according to Joshua, told the whole story, at least, you know, in, at that time, all the story that could be told, which prompted the hearers to respond. So let's compare that to the typical gospeling in, uh, in the book of Acts, just to make a comparison. Let's see what happens. So um, this is uh, Acts chapter 3. There's just been the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit for the first time in Acts chapter 2. And, um, and this is what happens. Uh, Peter and John, they heal a man who was begging at the temple gate. And it kind of gets all the people riled up. So we'll pick up the story in Acts 3, verse 11. While the man, the man held on to Peter and John, this is the man that was healed, uh, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Yeshua. So right away, Peter links the story of Yeshua to the story of what God has done through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the same thing that Joshua does, right? He goes back to Abraham, and he says, this is what God did through Abraham, and he did it through Isaac and through Jacob, right? This is historical context. And then Peter continues, uh, he's speaking of Yeshua, uh, and this is what he says uh, in verse 13. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Yeshua, this man whom you see and know was made strong, the man that was healed. It is Yeshua's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So now Peter is bringing them up to speed, right? This is an explanation of the recent events, what God has been doing to this day. Just like 
Joshua did when he told of the faithfulness of God in the days of Balaam and the conquering of the Amorites right up to the day where they had everything they needed in the land. And then Peter continues. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that Messiah would suffer. What is this? He's going back again. He's getting more context. This is a callback to the prophets. This is historical background. Yeshua's story was predicted. It was paralleled. It was modeled in the scriptures of that time, which is, of course, the Tanakh. And then, of course, there is a response. There's a response that's required, followed by more historical context, right? It's always... It's always looking back to what God has been doing in accordance with the scriptures. And this is what he says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Yeshua. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Again, the background. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Moses predicted Yeshua. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So what are the elements that we have seen of the gospel of Joshua and the gospel of Peter? There are three elements that I can discern. Number one is historical context. This is goes along with what God has been doing, what God has done, right? Number two is what God is doing right now, the current story, which in the case of uh, Acts would be that God uh, raised up Yeshua from the dead and that he died for our sins. And number three, there's always some sort of response. In the New Covenant Scriptures, the current story, as I said, is the story of Yeshua, his life, his death, and resurrection. It is this story that we relate to the historical context of God's relationship with Israel. And the response is always to repent, to do teshuvah, to return to God. So why do I insist that we tell the whole story here? Well, what happens if we leave out the context and we just talk about Yeshua's death and resurrection? I think that is a misstep. And the gospel and the book of Acts, as far as I can tell, never makes this misstep. They always include this part, this context, according to the scriptures. Paul and Peter always show how the story of Yeshua fulfills, completes, and brings to fullness the story of Israel. 
We can get so caught up in the, the saving power of the Yeshua story that we neglect the story which makes Yeshua's story have meaning. An ancient covenantal contract without the historical background of the faithfulness of the king would not fly. The king just said, just showed up and said, hey, this is what I expect of you, right? That wouldn't have gone so well. And the same is true with the gospel story. Now, does our telling of the gospel leave out the Yeshua part? Well, I've seen it. I've seen it for various reasons. Uh, when we want to tell what God has done on behalf of Israel, sometimes we stop before we get to Yeshua. But given the proper context, if we think about Yeshua as a first century rabbi, if we think about him as the son of man in Daniel, as the one whom the scriptures long for, then the story of Yeshua is easier to tell. It's kind of a natural progression. I have also seen uh, sometimes we have an emphasis on Jewish tradition and Jewish practice and Jewish halakha. And these things are important, but should they be emphasized over Yeshua's story? What are we called to proclaim and spread throughout the earth? Are we called to spread Messianic Judaism? Or are we called to spread the kingdom of Yeshua? Does a hurting world need the minutiae of Jewish practice? Or do they need Yeshua? Do they need Yeshua's saving power? All things in their proper context, we can do both. But the Yeshua part of the gospel should not be left out. And the last step, the response, is sometimes left out of the gospel as well. The apostles always had an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel, to repent, to be immersed in water, to make a change in their heart toward Hashem. If we merely proclaim that Yeshua died for our sins, but we don't teach that this should affect how we live, then I believe we have not told the complete gospel. As I said in the beginning of the sermon, an incomplete gospel without any of these three elements, it's like a joke with no punchline. We don't want to do that. So it is left to us to ask, what is our gospel? What is our story here? What has God done for us historically in our community? Well, he has miraculously given us this building. Do we remember that? He miraculously provided for heat during the first Hanukkah, which is coming up. He brought us through many trials as a community, and he's been healing us and strengthening us along the way. He's been faithful to this community of Tikvat Israel, and he's still doing things in our community. He's bringing new members. We just had some great new members last week. That was so encouraging, wasn't it? Amen. He's given us new vision. He's, he's bringing us where he wants to be as a spiritual family. And the best part is he's giving us a choice. How do we want to respond? We can choose this day whom we will serve. So let's continue to tell what? That's right. Tell the whole story of God's faithfulness historically and in Yeshua. And let's continue to respond with soft hearts 
to his leading. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Abba, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that um, your story is complete, oh God, that um, you are complete and there's nothing missing in you and uh, you have called us to tell the whole story. And uh, I just pray that you would anoint us to be faithful to what you have given us, Lord, and that we would share what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do, and that we would share with people that the gospel is so much bigger than we could ask or imagine. It's so much more than just Yeshua dying. It is that, but it is also your faithfulness to Israel. And the gospel also requires us to respond and gives us the choice to respond. And I pray that we would respond with humility and that um, when we proclaim the gospel and go forth from this place, that we would tell the whole story, that people would come to know you, oh God, through Yeshua the Messiah. And in his name we pray. Amen.